1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: If you can't take care of your family, you can't really participate in church effectively. Where do we see that? 1 Timothy 3, right? Someone wants to, if a man wants to be an elder, he aspires to a good thing, talks about all the qualifications, and it comes down to this, the husband of one wife, and it talks about somebody who can manage his household well. And if he can't manage the household well, how will he manage the church of God? Marriage, family, determines the course of everything. And without a marriage, without a family, you really can't have a church. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move every chain of the past. You've broken into all oh, the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Hello, and welcome to. The Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, senior pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us as we hear Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Marriage.
2: We are in part two of It Takes a Marriage. This is part of a larger series that pertains to the family called Family Matters. Family Matters matter to God and they they should matter to us. And a lot of people, I've been getting, I tell you, of all the series that I think I've preached in the last 10 years, in the last week, I've gotten probably more feedback, positive and not so positive, uh, on this series. We just started. And so let me just show you where the series is going uh, so you'll know. Uh, So it's called Family Matters. For a family to thrive, parts one and two, it takes a marriage. The next sermon after that, which will be week after next, because we have a guest speaker next week, is it involves a husband and a wife. It necessitates strong communication and relationships. The fourth sermon uh, is uh, it depends on handling conflict. And then it requires active parenting. It demands loving prodigals who break our hearts. Just a quick plug here for uh, women's Bible study. Uh, my wife Terry, many of you know her, is speaking about when a prodigal returns home. Uh, October fifth in women's Bible study, guys. You have to be a woman to go there, so you know. And uh, she's the prodigal that she's going to be talking about. So you know, ladies, even if you don't go, you're invited, and you uh, might want to hear that. So, just a shameless plug. You know how that goes, right? Okay. Um, it demands loving prodigals who break our hearts. It needs intercession, and it calls for family worship. And so that's the series, basically eight sermons. And, you know, I know this is a tough topic, and, and I've been hearing about that, I've, and I've heard all kinds of things, and, uh, you know, and I know that the topic of marriage is really tough, because some of you aren't married, some of you have been married, some of you have been widowed. But let me remind you that what we're preaching and teaching here is the Word of God. And this series is for the whole church and for everybody. Whether you're married, divorced, widowed, thinking about getting married, whatever it is. Dating, single. What you're going to hear here are principles from the Word of God that governs marriage, the family relationships. And as we talked about already, marriage and family are the foundation stones upon which society and civilization are built and you may some of what you're going to hear may challenge you some of it may hurt a little bit the gospel sometimes stings and sometimes the holy spirit kind of pricks us where we need to change but understand this i'm preaching this out of love for you love for god and love for the people that you all and i together as a church family will eventually lord willing reach with the gospel and whether you're 17 or 75 single or married You may learn something here that you can put your arm around somebody's shoulder who's in a jam and share with them and teach what you learn. And you may be saying, well, I've messed up my marriage. I've messed up my kids. I've messed up my life or whatever it is. Remember this, beloved. There's nothing God can't heal. And healing starts with repentance and change. And I want you to understand God's will for marriage and for family. Because so goes the family. So goes the church. So goes society. And marriage, which what we're talking about today, is foundational to all of that. Tear at the fabric of marriage, and you tear at the fabric of family, and you tear at the fabric of the church, and you tear at the fabric of the world around you. And that's why things are messed up today. So with that, you know, you know I had somebody come to me and say, you know what, when you started preaching last Sunday, I haven't been married for a long time, and so I just shut down. I stopped taking notes and... Uh, you know, I thought about, you know, somebody else thought, thought about leaving. And, and then they said, then I woke up at 2 o'clock that morning and realized this is the word of God. And it has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our lives. I'm paraphrasing. And I repented. And, uh, you know, this is the word of God we're talking about here. And it's not what's in it for us. It's for the glory of God, the good of others, in our own growth. So with that, let's get back into it, okay? And know what I say, I say in love. Family Matters, Part 2. Well, let's talk about Part 1. Where did marriage come from? We studied that in Genesis 2, 24, Matthew 19, uh, Matthew 19 uh, 1 through 6. Marriage comes from God, right? God saw that it wasn't good for, uh, for us to be alone. He made people to, to complete us. And uh, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage came from God. God designed it. And like Jesus said, what God has joined together, what God has created, what God has designed in Matthew 19, uh, 4 through 6, let no one separate, let no one tamper with. Marriage is from God. It's not from the Constitution. It's not from the government. It's not from the culture. It's from God. It's His. He designed it. He purposed it. We should not mess with it. Okay, that's where it came from. What is marriage? That was our second question. Marriage is a comprehensive union of, of a man and a woman in a relationship that covers every aspect of their lives, social, physical, spiritual, sexual, everything. They share everything in common. When it says a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one, their whole paradigm shifts. They're no longer under the, under the authority of their parents. They form a family together. And Paul even quotes this in Ephesians chapter chapter 5. And, and then he says, and this is a picture of Christ and the church, marriage is the foundation stone of society and it is a picture of Christ and his church. So that's what marriage is. And, you know, Christ would never abandon his church and the real church would never abandon Christ. And so, you know, that's what marriage is. It's the foundation stone of society. Why is it necessary? Because we were designed for fellowship. You know, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it in Genesis. And that keeps getting repeated throughout the Bible. God created us to care for each other and care for the world he made. And that's why marriage is necessary. And you know, you go back to the book of beginnings, Genesis, because if you don't understand Genesis, you cannot understand the gospel. You cannot understand the rest of the Bible. It is foundational, and that's why it begins with marriage. Why is a marriage uh, essential to society? Because it's the fundamental building block of civilization. It's how civilization cares for itself. It's how... It, you know, when it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion, that talks about governance. It talks about provision. And as we talked about in 1 Timothy 5.8 last week, someone who doesn't take care of his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Somebody asked me, so you're saying that your physical, biological family is more important than your church? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Holy Spirit says here through the pen of Paul. And if you won't take care of your own family, you, you've denied the faith because God commands you to, and you're worse than an unbeliever because you should know better. You would expect a clueless unbeliever to not understand how the world works and how, what God's will is, but you would expect a believer to understand that. And so we're supposed to care for our families, not turn them over to strangers, right? We're supposed to care for each other. And so the whole social welfare system that God intended is based out of the marriage and out of the family. In fact, if you can't take care of your family, you can't really participate in church effectively. Where do we see that? 1 Timothy 3, right? Someone wants, if a man wants to be an elder, he aspires to a good thing talks about all the qualifications, and then it comes down to this, the husband of one wife, and it talks about somebody who can manage his household well. And if he can't manage the household well, how will he manage the church of God? Marriage, family, determines the course of everything. And without a marriage, without a family, you really can't have a church. And that's why we use the analogy church-family. We get that from the family. And so this is why marriage is essential. And we talked about all those statistics that regardless of economic and educational situations that where one one parent is not there or is not engaged, there's more crime, there's more poverty, there's more upheaval, and there's more kids going to jail. So that's the first four questions that we began to ask and answer to understand marriage. Let's take questions five, six, and seven today. Lord willing, we'll get out of here with that, okay? So last week we kicked off the discussion, and now we come to question number five. And this is a hard one. Is marriage to be permanent? Is marriage permanent? Should it be permanent? And here we are in California who practically invented no-fault divorce, right? But what does the Word of God say about the permanence of marriage? And to answer that, we go back to one of our linchpin passages, Matthew 19. And In Matthew 19:3 through 8, we read this. And the Pharisees came up to him and testing him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, so, there, can you just get a divorce anytime you want to? That's the question. These are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And Jesus' answer is very pointed. He says, have you not read? He's like, I can't believe you're asking this question. You're believers? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man, let not human beings separate. Well, they they answered and said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Look at his answer. He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, It was not so. Now, I think Jesus' teaching here is very clear. You can read this. What does this text say? What does it mean? What are the words saying? People say, well, I think he meant this. No, what do the words say? It says you can't divorce for any old reason. Now, in that era, a guy, you know, and and men did most of the divorcing then. Um, In that era, a man could divorce divorce his wife, you know, in the the Greco-Roman world, just because he felt like it. In the Jewish world, they were starting to pick up the bad habits of the culture around them. Sound familiar? And... You know, And so there, was, so there was this big debate in Judaism about grounds for divorce. And Jesus is like, have you not read? Have you not read the word of God? And he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Divorce was never part of God's plan. It is against his will. That's why he says in Malachi 2.15, I, the Lord, hate divorce. Jesus' views are very clear. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife. It talks about a permanent grasping, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, there's, There aren't any escape clauses in that. There are no escape clauses, and he warns them. They're looking for wiggle room, and Jesus isn't giving them any. And, re- and they said, well, yeah, but divorce takes place. I mean, Moses granted us a divorce. And he said, yeah, because of the hardness of your hearts. But what they forget about the law of Moses and what they ignored to some extent was the fact that You could certify that you're divorced because that might have meant you were the bad guy and she's out free of you. But the bottom line is, is that there's not a word of affirmation or praise for the concept, for the idea of divorce. Not one. Because of the hardness of your heart. And naturally, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the pen of the Apostle Paul, deals with the permanence of marriage. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 14, let me just read that for you. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 14. To the married, I give this charge. Now, who's Paul writing to here? The church at Corinth, right? Believers, okay? To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. To the married, the Lord gives this charge. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband shall not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. What's going on here? Couple of things: Believers are not to divorce. It's just it's it's as emphatic as it can be. He's taking what Jesus said, he's amplifying it here. He's he's expanding on it. He's he's clarifying it. Paul seems to acknowledge that divorce is sometimes unavoidable. Be careful. That's not a license to divorce, and we'll deal with that in this sermon. And he will go on to give grounds for divorce in this passage. But he's saying, believers, you get married, you mar you you believer. Marry this believer, and you guys get married, you know, stay. Do not. And if you separate, don't remarry. That's what Paul is saying. And, and, and this, is the, this is the word of God here, not the word of Keith. You tell me how to read anything else beside what's there. And then he goes on to say, into the rest. And what, what happens a lot of times is this people get married, two unbelievers, and one of them comes to Christ. And then the other unbeliever, who is now looking at their believing spouse, is going, what, what happened to this person? I don't, I don't like these changes. They used to be different, you know. And, and there's tension. And, and the believing spouse may be tempted to abandon this unbelieving spouse. And he's saying, don't do it. This believing wife or this believing husband may be tempted to, to abandon that. But he'll go on to talk about, look, you don't know. They could be saved through you. Don't leave. If they want to keep you, stay with them. Stay with them. There's this couple, uh, Eunice and Arnie. And uh, Eunice came to Christ at 27 after they'd been married for five years. Arnie came to Christ at 59. She led him to Christ. It took a long time. It was a long, hard ride. Okay? You just don't know. You just don't know. And you want to be careful. To the rest, I say not... I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Because there's an other-orientedness to the believer. They don't think, what's in it for me? They think about the glory of God and the good of others and and their own growth. And so according to God's word, marriage should be permanent. That's his will. Due to the hardness of people's hearts, marriages sometimes fail. But divorce is not only a noun, it's a verb. And that's an action word, right? And that means choices are involved. And God's will is that you choose not to divorce, right? And the Pharisees came up to him, testing him and saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered and says, have you not read? Have you not read? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Therefore, God has joined together. Let no one separate. Is marriage supposed to be permanent? Yes. Undeniably, unquestionably, yes. It's God's will that marriage should be permanent. It's a permanent relationship as permanent as Christ and the church. That's the design. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know what? I've blown it. I have made a mess of this. I've made hash of it. And and it hurts to hear you say this. It does probably hurt to hear me say this. But remember this. There's no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still. And there's no mountain so high that God's love cannot and his grace cannot help you soar above it. And in the grace of God, there's healing, there's hope, and there's restoration, you know? I mean, otherwise, we'd all be dead in our sins and trespasses with no hope of a heavenly home. Marriage is to be permanent, but God can heal anything. Sometimes he restores divorced couples. Sometimes it's not possible because one marries, and then the other, you know, it's just not possible. But the bottom line is, let's never mistake the grace of God for his approval of our sin, right? Okay? Question six. Question six. What are the grounds for ending a marriage? Are there grounds? That's the better question. Are there grounds for ending a marriage? And the answer is, yes, there are. There are grounds for ending a marriage. The Bible provides two clear-cut, unmistakable grounds for the ending of a marriage. There's a third ground that is implicit in the text of Scripture, but it's implicit. And we'll get to that third ground. We're going to deal with the first two right now. The first two grounds are very clear-cut, but they call for us to be tentative And careful, and the third ground calls for us to be tentative and careful. But let's talk about the grounds. Ending a marriage, I'm reminded, should be entered into just as carefully as you would taking someone's life in self-defense. Just by way of analogy, you know, we don't easily take another person's life. We'd be very cautious because both of those actions involve collateral damage. If someone were to break into my house and threaten my family and in self-defense, I were to take their life. It would be traumatic for me, traumatic to my family, send this person to a godless eternity more likely, and then his or her family would be traumatized. That's the way divorce works. It's like a hand grenade. You throw it, it blows up, blows a hole in the ground and kills the people you threw it at, and the shrapnel goes out over a wide field of damage. Okay? This, it's the same with divorce. Divorce is never just two people. It's a family, it's friendships, it's extended relationships. And we want to enter into that very, very carefully, very, very tentatively. And the first ground for divorce is this, adultery or sexual immorality. Where do we see that? In the same context of the discussion where Jesus is talking about divorces due to the hardness of men's hearts, the hardness of humanity's hearts, we find in Matthew 19, 9 through 11, this, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, and you can just see them putting their hands on their heads and stepping back. If such is the case, a man with a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Jesus said to them, and this is critical that you understand this last sentence. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Okay? So what's going on here? Jesus says, you can get a divorce. He's talking to these Pharisees, you know, who are coming. Can we divorce for any old reason? He's going, look, you can divorce for adultery. Any reason other than that, you're in danger of committing adultery yourself or causing the divorced spouse to commit adultery. And then his disciples are going like, well, maybe we shouldn't marry at all. And he says, he said, yeah, it's hard to take this, but the people to whom it's given can take it. And who's he speaking to here? Through the pages of scripture. This is a teaching for Christians. The world will reject it and say, well, it's, you know, and he's saying to his disciples, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And <clears throat> it is given to the church. So that ground is adultery. And the disciples' reaction is one of great gravity. And it should be, because marriage depicts Christ and his church. Marriage is the foundation for the family. And there are always multiple, multiple, multiple victims, bystanders injured in a divorce. And Jesus says, Yeah, this is hard to take. But the people to whom I'm giving it will be able to receive it. He's giving it to us, right? Even in the Sermon on the Mount, he touches on this theme. In Matthew 5.32, you know, we always think of the Beatitudes. You need to read the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's great. But in Matthew 5.32, it says this. But I say to you, everyone that divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Divorce matters to God and it should matter to us. It should be serious, serious business in our eyes. And too often we hear about, well, we just grew apart. Well, we were too young to get married. Or we have irreconcilable differences. Or, you know what? I can't find any of those excuses in the Bible. And the Bible is very, very specific. Very easy to read and understand if we take the time. What about the second ground? The second ground is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where God is talking about divorce and remarriage and about widows and about whether people should marry and things like that. And in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, we read this, 7.15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, but has called you to peace. So this goes back to his earlier comments about saying believers should not divorce. You know, if the, if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, stay with him if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay stay with her and then he says but in the exceptional case that the unbeliever abandons you you're set free you're free abandonment by an unbeliever first ground sexual immorality adultery and it takes many forms second ground is abandonment by an unbeliever."
1: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...